Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Helen. I'm Janet. And I'm Bing. Hello, ABGs and ABBs. So on today's episode, we have a very special guest and friend of the podcast. His name is Bing Chen. Okay, so with any of our guests that we bring onto our podcast, we do a deep dive on their interwebs to come up with the best hour or so of content that we can provide to you, our listeners out there. But Bing, he has racked up so many accolades, we don't even know where to begin. (laughs) So let me start off by asking you, Bing. First off, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How would you describe yourself in three words? Uh, my name is Bing. I'm obnoxious. I'm relentless. Oh, and I'm excitable. Ooh, obnoxious, Ooh. relentless, and excitable. That does sound... I like how you started off with obnoxious, though. Self-deprecation <laughs> demonstrates humility, however false. Uh- <laughs> Well, on a professional level, Bing is a general partner and co-founder of AUM Group, a multicultural film fund, and he is the president and co-founder of Gold House, the premier collective of Asian founders, creative voices, and leaders dedicated to uniting the world's largest populace, our peoples, Asians, and Pacific Islanders. Yay! Previously, he was YouTube's global head of creator development and management, where he was one of the original and principal architects of the multi-billion dollar influencer ecosystem. He was the company's first creator marketing manager and remains a trusted confidant to hundreds of our favorite creative artists. Bing is a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree, a Hollywood Reporter next-gen leader, and his companies have been recognized as Business Insider's top startups. To be honest, he has way too many accolades to listen to Centro. He's also one of the most passionate, expressive, and big-hearted people we know. Please welcome formally to the Asian Boss Girl podcast, Bing Chen. It's such an honor to be here, truly. Thanks for having me. Honorary girl. Yes. <laughs> Honorary a Asian Boss Girl or Asian Boss Boy as we, as we have our supporters and our allies. Um, Bing, thank you so much for being on here. We're just going to dive right in and get to know you on all different levels. Cool. (laughs) Sounds invasive. It might be. (laughs) If it's going to be, if it's a good interview, it will be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Barbara Walters. (laughs) 
I mean Connie Chung. I mean Connie Chung. Wow, watch me westernize us. Shame on me. I'm I'm so colonized. I will take I will take Connie Chung. That that is a that is a incredible compliment. Um, but I'm gonna take us way back, and we want to go way back to the very very early years. So Bing, you were born in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you consider yourself a third culture kid across North America and Asia. How would you describe to our listeners who don't know you, your childhood and your upbringing? Set the, set the tone for us, for who being started out as. Uh, so my parents give us the great privilege of uh, raising us in different continents and therefore cultural contexts, uh, which is what a third culture kid is. You spend a material portion of your formative years, e.g. teenage years, and a cultural antipodal to where you were initially raised. So when I was in Knoxville, Tennessee until 10, I thought I was white. Uh, I was one of three non-white kids in my, my community. It was amazing. Uh, as, I, as I often say, my, my heart comes from Tennessee uh, and my values come from Tennessee, uh, minus the guns. Uh, and then when we were teenagers, we moved to Shanghai, which completely opened my eyes. It was sort of the second great windfall of Westerners coming into the country and trying to catalyze it you know, economically. And so I often say my eyes came from Shanghai. And I can give you a litany of stories to color that. But it really opened my eyes up to how big the world is and, and also made me realize through one billion reasons why I was actually Asian and not white. Um, and then the third place we went is uh, the OC. because My father, unfortunately, contracted cancer when I was uh, 13. Um, and so we moved back to Orange County because they, they have like the nation's leading cancer center, though not leading enough. Um, but uh, sorry, bad death joke. Uh, it's been a lot. Uh, if you can't laugh at these things at some point or find levity, like, why are we here? You can make that joke if you'd like. Yeah. Yes, of course. I know. I'm so poor taste. Um, no, but I say, I, say, I say that my taste comes from the OC, which is probably the, the best compliment I can give. Uh, and it's also why I sound like a surfer. But, you know, I, I think the cool thing about being a third culture kid is you you unfortunately feel like you're at home nowhere. Um, but you also, by virtue, I feel like you can be home everywhere. And so it's given me just this gift of being so open to all things. Like I'm never surprised by anything and, and very open and warm to all things. Um, and I think the second piece, as I alluded to, is my father unfortunately passed away of cancer when I was 15. And I think when you're you know, just moving to a new place, trying to acclimate, you know, dealing with hormones, plus seeing one half of your stability structure die, it forces you to reconcile, A, what really matters. Answer punchline is very few things matter, just like very few people candidly matter in each of our lives. Uh, as terrible as that sounds, mm -hmm. it is true. And, and secondly, is it forces you to figure out why you are here. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, just like growing up throughout my whole life, like I was always the different one, but I never saw it as a deficiency. I saw it as a strength to help others find why they are here. And so through that, through his death, through being exposed to just like great media communities and all that, I think it informed my like life's purpose as well. Wow, mm -hmm. that was uh, an amazing intro. We're <laughs> just getting to know you in such a in only a couple minutes. Oh uh, no, too far, too far. No, for the no, first no, no, no. Too far no, for the first date. <laughs> Third date material. No, no, no. Pull I, back. Pull I, actually, back. I have a lot of questions. I didn't know that you um, moved to Orange County and grew up there and spent your like teenage years there. In um, Laguna, our claim oh, wow. to fame is we were one of the two runners up for the show Laguna Beach. Yeah. It was us in Newport <laughs> oh. Harbor. My friends are, for the record, way more attractive and did way more Coke. Um, not that I did. I do not subscribe to Coke. We like Pepsi. Um, but, um, yeah, no. I, my high school was I – I shouldn't say this. This is probably rude. I actually – our class crushed it, but we were, like, famous for our failed reality TV show stars. Um, no, so it's, yeah. it's not like I went to a preppy, fancy school. I really did not. Um, well, yeah. I understand. I also – I grew up in Orange County, so my Where? sister uh, – Mission Viejo. So I went to Capo. What? So I took my SAT at Capo. Wow. <laughs> Wait, where, do, where does your family live? Capo is famous because you have the Cheesecake Factory, which is heaven yeah. on earth. 
Wait. Yeah, in the Mission Viejo Mall. Oh, yeah, in the mall. Yeah. <laughs> is it like a really good cheesecake factory? I don't know. I gotta go here. What is only this? Only cheesecake factory in South OC. Oh, I didn't, eat, I didn't actually even know this. I don't know. My friends were really into the Del Taco. That was down the block. So. It's not bad. $2 tacos, yeah. $2 cheesesteaks. I know. I was always like, any food that you can buy for 99 cents or less, probably not a good idea to eat. But It's probably um, not tacos. Is it's what it is. Yeah. It's pro- <laughs> yeah. Um, but wow, yeah. I didn't... I mean, that's, that's a huge... Like, those are very, very different uh, places to all have grown up in less than... 50, or like to have spent your life in less than 15 years, mm-hmm. right? Um, I guess one of my first questions is you said that you always felt like an outsider, but, um, never saw that as like a negative thing. Do you like how, I I think, I feel like for most people, they would be kind of feeling like the desire is to blend in. Um, Mm -hmm. how would you describe like where that comes from? Or do you have like a memory of, of feeling like othered and then why, why in your mind you translated that to as to being like a benefit? I think it's only good parenting, to be honest. Like my parents, mm. my parents were not typical Asians. This is why I don't subscribe to a lot of the traditional like, woe is me, I was Asian, I couldn't speak up. Like that was never the case. My parents were always like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, do you want to, what instrument do you want to play? And I said, I want to play piano. They said, fantastic. What do you want to play in piano? Do you want to do Suzuki Med? And I said, fuck that. I want to do Beauty and the Beast. So I know every version of Beauty and the Beast. So it's just like, it's, it's just like they were, in hindsight, they were really Socratic. And so they actually unintentionally gave me rails. But I was able to exercise an immense amount of agency since I was born. And it's entirely because of how my parents raised me. Um, and so I think that's why it's like, was I one of only, you know, really one of two people of color at my elementary school, one of three in our community that we know? Yes. But like it was a strength because I already had built up so much agency and it's not an arrogance. It's a you are here and you deserve to be here. Now show them why you are here. And luckily, Mm. you know, I did really well in classes. I did really well in soccer. I did really well in all the things. And so that sort of just perpetuates confidence and further agency that at some point you're able to scale to others. Um, So, yeah, no, I wish I could give you like a victimized like and I don't mean that in a reductive way, but like, you know, a traditional story. But no, I have incredible parents who the American dream who showed me with their own lives that anything is possible. And, mm. and to date, I've yet to be proven wrong on that mentally. Wow. That, I mean, that makes total sense as to, I think, growing up in, in Tennessee, if you're able to kind of excel in all these ways. But then you moved to Shanghai. Was, wasn't language and all of that? Like, how did you acclimate to, to that culture? So we were good Asians, so Chinese is my first language. Uh, I didn't ah. speak English till I was like three years old. Shout out to Team ESL. Um, and so, <laughs> same, uh, same. <laughs> there you go, there you go, same, same. Um, but no, I think the, the, the thing about Shanghai was actually not even realizing I was Asian. I, I truly thought, like I had a country accent, I played baseball, I ate hot dogs. And I remember when my parents were like, we're moving to Shanghai, I cried in third grade. Cause I told them, I was like, mm-hmm. mama, I'm not Asian, I'm American. And, and that <laughs> oh in God. Tennessee is, is what America is. Um, But no, I remember it wasn't just a matter of like, well, you're actually Asian. It was actually a matter of the world is large and the world is is going to disappoint you and surprise you in the best ways. Like I remember distinctly the first day of fourth grade, one of my classmates, Tal Kadar, came in and it was the first day a lot of us had ever been in Shanghai. And um, she's Israeli. That's a relevant detail. And she was uh, she uh, was bawling when she came in. And I remember us like 10 year olds thinking like, well, that's fucking weird. Like, why would you come to the first day of class bawling? And lo and behold, we found out one of her relatives' shops in the Gaza Strip had gotten bombed. And this is pre-9-11, by the way. Like, we, unfortunately, kids, fortunately or unfortunately, kids have to grow up with much wider eyes these days than back then. But back then, like, this was a very jarring experience. This is 97, you know? And and I remember thinking, bombs? Like, Gaza? Like, 10-year-old? Like, what? You know, like, I come from a land where, like, we... 
you know, play honky tonk and eat hot dogs and catch fish. Like, you know, I don't know what the fuck this is. And, and then, you know, my mother got in a car accident and then we saw abject poverty juxtaposed against our ivory tower walled gardens. And it was just like, whoa, like at a young age, the world is surprising and disappointing. And, and how do you navigate that and still create something beautiful, even if it's oblivion? Um, so I think that's really what Shanghai gave me. It wasn't even the Asian race thing. It was mm. how can our species be so vast and complicated? Now that's super interesting. And I'm just curious being like, how has your culture impacted your life mission? I mean, you're, especially as a third culture kid. Yeah, I think like it's it, it starts with like we're at home everywhere and nowhere. And it like it goes back to be pedantic of um, I remember Mr. Rogers had this like story where when he was younger, he'd watch the news and it's all a bunch of like sex, drugs, violence, card, like all the things we know that are that are terrible. And he, he said that his mother would always say, look for the helpers. And it's only 10 percent of us in these scenes. But if you look for the helpers like that light, you know, will eventually like outshine the dark. And my mother said a very similar thing when we were kids. My mother's a little more pugnacious. So she would say like, being in disasters, you have to look for the fighters. Like you look for the firefighters in the fire, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think for me, if you don't feel at home, you find home. And if you can't find home, then you build homes. And, and so I think that that's one thing that this experience taught me. I think the second is when you see anyone die. And unfortunately, until you yourself face death or someone you love deeply faces death, you will never know what essentialism is because everything feels big until it's small. And, and I think it forced me to realize why are we really here and what really matters? Like, this is why I never get upset. Like, I never lose my temper. Or I never think like anything is insurmountable because I know what's at stake. And, and what's at stake is the end because there is no coming back from that. You know, and so I think that's the second thing. And then outside of that, like there's this like this is going to it's going to be annoying, but like inform my YouTube work, which I, I think y'all want to talk about in a bit. But like it's like step one is figuring out why you are here. And then step two is figuring out who sees you. And then step three is understanding does it even matter and will it last? And I think these other two are actually the hardest things. Like it gets into love. It gets into legacy. And, and those are the things that I think I'm still trying to figure out for myself. Like, I, I don't know if what I'm doing is going to last forever, but I hope it does. And we're building it too, you know? Um, but I think that's, that, those are a couple of things that I, I think it's like informed. I'm learning. I mean, obviously I know you just through my fiance, <laughs> Philip, and, <laughs> and just, you know, in, in like the community and, and whatnot. But within just the past, like, 10 minutes that we've been recording I feel like I've learned a lot about you and how you see mm -hmm. life and why you see life the way that you do and even the way that you say you know if you can't find a home you build a home I feel like that does translate a lot into the work that you are doing for the Asian community which is amazing um it's, it's, I do want to talk privilege I know but sorry to interject <laughs> Uh, no, it, it's 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 not. I mean, it, it's based on your life experiences that has truly created the person that you are today. And you're using all the abilities that you have to create the thing that you want to see in the world. And you're 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 doing that. And I think that's so cool. Um, I, we do want to talk about your early career, though. You know, so diving into the just boss the part of, of the career. boy. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> you're the A B B of uh, the A B B. So you have a tremendous record for what you've accomplished. Um, starting at the beginning, you started your career as a product marketing manager at Google. And a year later, you became the global head of creator development and management at YouTube. Some people will take a long time to get to a place like that. What was that experience like so early on in your career? That was amazing. I was so lucky. I, I think like one is I just benefit from incredible 
nurture and conviction in my dream. Like when I say I want to be the next Walt Disney, what I mean is I want to create new worlds at the largest scale that touch the most people so we can deliver people faster. So you can figure out why you're here and get there faster before it's too late. Um, and I really, really mean that. And so I think having conviction in like your personal North Star or mission, whatever annoying business school you've missed and you want to use is, is really important, but also a privilege. Um, I think the second is like, Honestly, the reason I got there is because I execute like a motherfucker. I know how to bring everyone along. And honestly, it was unimportant at YouTube at the time. And like Phil, this is how Phil and I met, of course. Like real talk, no one gave a shit about influencers when I got there. Like mm -hmm. I, it was literally they're like, thank God we've been waiting for you because everyone else here wants to be Netflix and HBO. You know, like mm -hmm. literally it's license a bunch of traditional premium content. Use that as a Trojan horse to invest in then originals. Like period. That was it. And they were like fucking like all of Hollywood, all that. Uh, I, I say that very sheepishly because now I am fucking old Hollywood, but um, <laughs> so, whatever. We become the things we hate. Um, but no, I like, you know, I, I got there and, and it was like, no one cares about this. You have the smallest budget by far. And I just looked around and I was just so excited by it because I thought that YouTube was the 21st century articulation of the media conglomerate. Because back then, 2010, de democratizing distribution was still a new thing that we take for granted today, but it was still a new thing. But the newer thing that no one was talking about was how do you democratize creation? How do you take Phil Wong and this like janky ass lip sync Backstreet Boys wannabe into a bona fide media empire? How do you get him like the biggest audience, sustain commercially and reimagine creative and premium? That's so mm -hmm. hard. Like that's the mm. God power. Like who is going to make water into wine, right? That's what drove us. And, and we just had immense conviction that that was going to be the next wave. Um, and so it was four of us. Uh, it was me, Shanazak, who was the product manager, my boss, Chris Hamilton, and then our friend, Margaret Healy, who uh, basically managed the top 100 influencers. And we put this like big deck together. It was called Walt Disney in 2010. And in that deck were global monetization, a gold play button, a concert series, an incubator, um, mm. fucking the name partner and changing it to creator. All the things that the market knows well. Now, influencer marketing, we popularized. Um, and within two years, we executed all of it, brought in nine figures of revenue and changed the lives of 33,000 creators to 300 million eventually by the time I left. And, and it was just, it was amazing because like being able to invent an industry from scratch that's worth that much money and fundamentally changes industries is is a privilege. Um, and I mean, for better or worse, it's now caused a lot of problems too. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And it's, it's, I would never, never give anything up for it. The only regret I have is, and this is what informs my work today, is like, I miss the creative side a lot. I realized I was mm -hmm. constantly building other people's dreams when my own dream also includes storytelling through worlds. And, and I realized mm -hmm. that was the other half of the Walt Disney Company that I craved. And so, yeah, so that crushed me a little bit, but otherwise it was sick. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like going through that experience, you could also see what worked for other people and you could implement that into your future. I know you're you're trying to create a whole world. You're writing a book. You're doing so many different things. And I feel like that's only going to help benefit you going forward too, right? They say that. I mean, you're very kind. Like the grass is always greener, right? Like, you know, when I if I were to do my dream now that I went a decade ago, would I have the contacts? Would I have like the resilience? Like maybe not. But I would also have youth. Mm -hmm. And now, like, you know, we're all in our early 30s. Like, I feel so old now. Like, I look at myself and I'm, like, five years late in my life plan because of fucking Peter, P like Peter Pan syndrome that persists our community. <laughs> and by our community, I mean the, uh, the entertainment community. Um, so I don't know. Who knows? Mm. Well, I mean, you did go from YouTube to building your own company. So that, I mean, that is, for some people, that is a, a way of, you know, working, building up other people's dreams and then going in to build your own dream. Um, so when you took that leap from YouTube to co-founding that uh, the mobile platform company called Victorious, 
what inspired you uh, to do this and what was that experience like? So the promise was not what the reality became. So the promise was that I basically have my own Walt Disney company and be able to really focus on the creative within the confines of a very structured tech platform. What ended up happening was publicly it looked really shiny. Like we raised $50 million from the biggest people and like all of that. We were like the hot thing on Silicon Beach. But the reality is like the product never delivered and, and I didn't oversee the product side. I only oversaw the business side, which did do very well. Um, and that's basically all I'm illegally allowed to say because I had to sign an anti-defamation clause. But as you can imagine, like the learning was like, A, date before you marry. Um, don't just like jump into companies. And B, honestly, the best lesson was like, I should not build other people's dreams because like I have so much conviction mm -hmm. in my own and it's so inclusive and I know how to deliver that I like, I just need to build mine because mine equals ours. Um, and so that was the biggest lesson I think. That's, I mean, that's an amazing lesson to take away. Um, painful, but, but I'm yeah. sure very painful. Yeah. But I mean, thinking, I guess more applied when you were there, were there any skill sets that you felt were um, like, were great takeaways because of that experience. Yeah, I think like one is the most important thing is uh, I, my biggest worry is that any of us like look back when we're 80 and don't recognize whose life we just lived. And so having full mm -hmm. conviction in what you are doing and making sure you are doing it as often or, or ideally at, at all times possible, as privileged and lucky as that sounds, is so imperative. And I realized very quickly I was building what I wanted to build, but it was someone else's. Like I only like 10% of the company at most on a good day, you know, it was, it was less than that. And so, and so it's not mine, you know? Mm. So I think that's number one. I think the second more like resilient one is, um, is uh, relentlessness is the only thing that separates the great from the good. Um, like I'm now at the age, we're now at the age where I have several, at least, at least a dozen, if not more billionaire friends. And they're all more or less our age, right? Literal billionaires. Um, and uh, I can tell you definitively, there is no fundamental difference between any of us other than they just persisted. They just did the mm -hmm. same thing for seven to 10 years. And because of how success and execution work, you can manufacture that into something meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so including being a billionaire. And so, yeah, I think like relentlessness and just not stopping is who the world belongs to. Most of the time, dreams die because you fail yourself. You know, you fail yourself because you stop. Um, it's not because of anything else. Um, so yeah. Oof, that's deep. Is this too dark? I feel like this is too, should no. we do a joke session? Let's do dad jokes. Let's do dad jokes. No. Let's do dad jokes. That's really good advice though. I feel like I'm just still processing what you said. And being, it sounds like you went through so much. Um, I kind of want to switch over to identity. Um, you know, as an Asian American man, like what are some of the most challenging experiences you have faced in your industries of work? So it's tough because I actually don't see myself as race, gender, et cetera. First, I see myself as a mm. human being. And I think that comes from the whole force homes as a third culture mm. kid. Um, you probably mm. notice, like even in Goldhouse's work, like we say API when we need to, but like we really try not to because this is about humanity, right? This is about our species longevity. So I think with that in mind, like the, the first challenge is how do we be inclusive without needing everyone? Like no good deed goes unpunished. Every day there are some peanut gallery bullshitter with a silhouette private social media account who flags something we do. And like, unfortunately, sometimes those people get attention, you know? And it's like, it's tough because like you want to be inclusive and very thoughtful. Like we take criticism immediately that's productive and implemented. But at the same time, you can't. And there's a, there's a, there's a pragmatism. This is something my mom taught me of like, 
if you want to be well liked, do nothing new. And, and fortunately, unfortunately, everything we do tries to be new. So of course we're going to piss people off, but that, that's hard. Um, I think the second piece is, is an Asian man, and just as a man in general, is how do we be proper and sincere and like consistent allies to women? Like I think about like the majority of attack victims who are women and Asian women at that. Like attacks against women is not a problem for women. Attacks against women is a problem because of men, because ninety six percent of attackers are men, right? And so it's like how do we teach each other to be better men? How do we teach like candidly lesser men to be better men? And that's hard, you know, like I, I'm encouraged, maybe, I, maybe I'm biased in like an in, in insular vacuum, but like, this is why Phil and I started MSG, our monthly Shrygut Club. Like, this is a bullshit supper club where honestly we give Phil grief 80% of the time for being a good guy, but like, like everyone in there is so successful, but is so good hearted. And like, as it were, I hate the term woke, but like very woke. And I, I, I have to believe increasingly, like we are the warriors that really represent this new generation. But I wonder constantly, are we doing our part to support women? You know, like I look at my own companies and like we are across the board, 50%, top to bottom, ec- like executives, volunteers, goal houses have 50% women, program participants, 60% of our founder networks are women. So like great from a like quota perspective, we're doing well. But as we often say, just because you're at the table or invited doesn't mean you're her. Just because you're her doesn't mean you're promoted. Mm-hmm. Just because you're promoted doesn't mean you're a decision maker, all the things. And so I, I constantly wonder, it's like, are we doing enough? And, and I don't know, you know, and, and, and this is one of those things where we'll never know because we don't have those eyes. You know, we don't, we aren't women and you can't know as empathetic as you are unless you are. So I, I wonder about that. And then the third thing I worry about is like, I never want to just support one community. Like I actually bemoan being known for like the Asian guy in the Asian community, to be honest, because it's not how I was raised. You know, like I have professional and personal experiences. I'm here for the world and for our species. And it actually bothers me when people are like, oh, being the Asian mafia guy. And it's like, no, I'd like, this is one of my 15 things. It's just the loud thing mm. right now, you know? Mm. And, and it's not because I'm ashamed. Like, obviously I'm phenomenally proud of us and what we can do, but I also like don't want to be seen as a box and because I don't see myself as a box and I struggle with that quite a bit. It's certainly interesting, but it's just processing what you said is I think everything you mentioned, it's all valid. Oh, and thanks, I appreciate you I appreciate you being thoughtful with um what you're saying about, you know, what can men and Asian men do to lift up voices too. Um, I think you mentioned earlier you're raised with a lot of agency from your mom, like from your parents. Like you had in some ways like you're a pretty confident person, but do you have any moments where you felt imposter syndrome or maybe within your adulthood you didn't feel like you belonged? And if, if so, do you mind walking us through some of those moments where you felt the most heaviest? Oh, yeah. I mean, I never feel like I belong. And I think that's why I'm able to navigate everywhere. And it's not like a non-committal thing where it's like, no one wants me, so I don't want them. It's, it's not that at all. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't care if no one wants me because I want me. And it's not about me mm-hmm. anyway. It's about the things that I build that make others feel like they're at home, you know? Like, like that's mm-hmm. the point, like just to, just to go down this path, like we're all around very powerful people. And I, I roll my eyes constantly at the ones who are like, I want to be CEO or like, I want to be on TV. And like, that's the real work. It's like, y'all are fucking full of shit because the greatest power is not wielded. It is not owned. It is given. Like, again, who is going to turn someone else's water into wine? Who is going to feed the masses? That's power. And that's not about you. It's not about Jesus. It's not about MLK Jr. It's not about anyone. That's about who are the amount of people that you can sustainably help. And I think that's why I don't care if other people see me because this is not about me. This is about everyone else and whether we can raise the floor. So I think, I think that's first like where I start out with. Um, that being said, like, like this is a process. You know, like I think like since I was young, I was the 
other in some way in every room. And like professionally, I'm almost always the youngest person in the room, always, by at least a decade. YouTube, I was in the business functions, almost always the only person of color in every room I was in. Like there's a lot of Asians, but we all know the trope, they're in product engineering, right? Business, business operations, not really, not really anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I never saw this deficiency because I grew up as a human being, not by race, not by gender, not by orientation, not by faith, not by anything. Um, and so, so like I've, I just have been nurtured to be like, okay, you're the youngest one, play that as a strength, right? And just like keep powering through and you will deliver because of your body of work and you'll deliver because you deliver. And this is a lesson for anyone. Like if you are here and you can get things done, you will find a way, you know? Um, you really will like, you know, some systems are stacked against others more than others. I recognize that, but at some point like roses do bloom. Um, so anyways, I think that's that. Um, but yeah, I mean like, do I have like the occasional, like, oh, maybe I'm like out of place here and there, all that much less so than I used to. Cause it's one of those things where like, and I think this just comes with maturity and age. If I want something, I will do my damnedest to have it. And if I don't get it, I either didn't try hard enough or it's not meant for me. And that's okay. Cause there are so many other things that are meant for me, including the things that I made that I actually control, you know? Um, mm. So that's the honest answer. I wish I'd give you a woe is me thing, but it's just not, it wouldn't be honest. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I so appreciate your honesty here and just the level of confidence that you have to, you know, and how you mm-hmm. navigate the world. But it doesn't come from a, a place of like arrogance. It really doesn't. It comes from a place of, you know, your worth and you know mm. what you can provide to this world. And you're just going to go out and do it. Like it's, 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 it's how we should all approach life, I feel like, just without the fear. I think that's how that's what I'm hearing from you. You approach life without fear. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean, it's. I don't know. I, we're, we're always afraid of something, but like, as they say, like everything is on the other side of fear. And I think the biggest thing that like holds mm-hmm. us back is like the, the thinking that people are watching us because we are meant to be blank in someone else's eyes. And the reality is mm-hmm. like, and this is a lesson from mommy is like the only way to be like forever. The only way to be the best at something is to be the only one. It's not to be better than anyone else. Cause like even competitively commercially, if you're trying to be better than someone else, you will only ever be just as good, if not incrementally better with, than them. And if like to extend the metaphor, if you're on a freeway and you're trying to outspeed like the Camaro next to you, you'll crash eventually. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And eventually you're still on someone else's road. Like, why would you do that? Like build a fucking plane, like be something else that no one has ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And is that hard? Is it exhausting? Do not have us hold the wherewithal, the financial resources and common do so. Of course, we all start from the same place. Right. And that is like an embryo. Some of us in a wealthier embryo than others, but an embryo nonetheless. Right. Um, but like you, like you only find this when you realize like you are here for yourself and no one is watching you or f- at least in far fewer people than you think. I like that messaging around because we do talk a lot about imposter syndrome or that uh, it's been a, a hot topic in the last year or so. Right. And especially yeah. within our audience. Um, and what I've taken away from what you said is a lot of it is just learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So if you are the only person or you don't feel like you fit in, like be okay with feeling that way and just keep going and keep doing. Yeah, exactly, Janet. And like, there's a grace on both sides of this, right? It's like, we feel imposter syndrome because we don't think we deserve good things. But the other side is like, I have so many friends now who unfortunately have been diagnosed with like cancer, for instance. They're our age and they're ostensibly really healthy. And the first question is, why me? Why not you? Like, there's a grace that is in recognizing that you are above and beneath nothing. Like, everything is coming for you. And unfortunately, because we think we're only entitled to good things sometimes on the other end of imposter syndrome, like, all the bad things come early and all the good things come late. You know, and, and we just need to get rid of that. Like things come as they go and you just have to believe in your own resilience to like get through it. 
you know? And, and hopefully the through line is something you actually care about before you die. That's the trick of life, you know? Like we're all swimming in the same ocean as it were. No one's faster, mm-hmm. like, and then we drown and die. And so- <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for the ending, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's the Titanic iceberg's fault. Raise your hand if you shop online. Okay, well, I can't see you, but I'm gonna bet that your hand is raised because nowadays you can buy almost anything online. And with that convenience on top of the year like 2020, we've probably all been doing even more online shopping. Let me ask you another question. Are you using Honey? I hope your hand is still raised because if it's not, you're pretty much missing out on free money. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons it can find for that site. If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. Honey has saved me money on everything from food orders to clothing purchases and even those flowers I ordered to be delivered for a friend's birthday. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online and has found its over 17 million members over $2 billion in savings. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com abg. That's joinhoney.com abg. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. We are five months into 2021, and I'd say I'm on track with my goals for this year. My two goals for this year, or even decade, yes, your girl turned 30 this year, is practicing being more mindful and making solo time for creativity. No matter what 2021 brings, you can spend it creating something meaningful with Skillshare's online classes because time is what we make of it. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Lately, I've been pretty good on practicing different techniques of mindfulness, but want to make more time for creativity. I saw some really cool classes that are a blend of both. Self-care through creativity, turn your anxiety into art, and daily art practice for self-care. 14 days of messages to yourself. With Skillshare, you can find inspiration in the moment and learn how to express your creativity. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Bring color and beauty and fun to your year. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com ABG and get a free trial of premium membership. Again, that's Skillshare.com ABG. Nowadays, there are so many wonderful health tests available that help us learn about traits like lactose intolerance, caffeine sensitivity, and even cilantro preference. Yes, a test to help you determine if you fall within the category of people for whom cilantro tastes like soap. If you're interested in learning about your genetic results, consider participating in the All of Us Research Program, the largest and most diverse health resource representing all of those groups who have been left out of research in the past, people of color, seniors, rural areas, low income, LGBTQ, etc. In drug trials conducted primarily in the U.S., Asians account for less than 2% of participants. Lack of participation leads to serious consequences because critical medical solutions will be made without considering us. All of Us is running active research studies for cancer and heart disease to Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes, which is of particular interest to me because diabetes runs in my family. Representation is critical to ensuring that discoveries are inclusive and beneficial across populations. You can sign up and do everything safely from the comfort of your own home. Participants can get a $25 gift card, their personalized genetic ancestry and traits results, and one of 10,000 Fitbit devices. 
Be part of the largest health research project ever. All eligible adults over 18 living anywhere in the United States can join. Participation is power. Join to make a difference at joinallofus.org slash A-B-G. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Well, let's jump into a fun topic here. Okay. I want to ask you about, (laughs) I want to ask you about uh, a a little bit about your dating life. So Bing, you shared with me via IGDM, um, something that I I didn't know before. Really? I had asked you. Uh, No. Um, And I know, I know you haven't been public about uh, the thing that I were to say. I don't, I hope I didn't share like leak anything just now, but um, but I will I will go ahead and let you share that if you are comfortable with sharing. You make this sound like a big deal. No, I mean I've been bisexual my whole life. I feel like all my friends who I told I stopped telling people because it was like, hey, I think like announcing anything like that is like silly because again, like I'm a human being. But like B is like all my Mm -hmm. friends I told they're like, oh, we know, dude. And I was like, this is so specific to know. How would you know that? But like literally they're all like, oh, we know. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Because I know that you've um, dated, you know, just from, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Got a little yeah. sh- on the Zoom, <laughs> so I won't say. Yeah, like I think love is complicated. Love is a four letter word. You know, like we're all here just trying to figure out, like I, I would look at it as like, I have several soulmates. And like, I think a lot of people look at sexuality as like some binary and like, we all know we're on a spectrum. And even when you're on a spectrum, it's not 50, 50, you know, when like one of my barometers is like, do you inspire me? Like when I close my eyes and I write my novel, do I think of you? Mm-hmm. It undulates. And, and the reality is like, there, there are, the other reality is like a lot of people, and this is completely okay because identity is a process of becoming, uh, regardless of how you see it. Like a lot of people say they're bisexual en route to being gay because like for whatever reason, it's it's just untenable in their society. They're scared and that's okay. You know, it's really okay. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for the women who are casualties in that process. Um, like I watched that Love, Simon show and I hate the dude. Like fuck or whatever the TV show is called. Like I was so mad at him for hurting that little girl. Like, like that mm-hmm. sucked. I was really upset. 
Um, but there are many of us who are actually like even, even, and, and there's actually a ton of us. Uh, and there's like a code of silence between all of us. Cause for whatever reason, it ends up being a lot of the most successful. I'm not saying one of these guys are like the most successful, very attractive, very empathetic guys. Like I guarantee you see one of us, like mm, some probably sways a little bit, you know? And, and I think it's like, it's just about being open to the world and being part of this new age. Like the, the running joke is like everyone under 21 is like, like this now. Um, but, it, but it's also tough, you know, cause like when, when I, when I first told like one of probably my principal soulmate who Helen, you're alluding to, um, and who thinks we are twin flames, TVD. Um, so, uh, but like when I told her, she's like, that makes sense. And, and, and it was like, thank you. Cause like a lot of girls just think you're gay and a lot of guys think you'd rather be with a woman cause it's easier. And that's just not how this works. It's really not. And it goes back to like third culture kids. Like, wow, no one wants me. So like, and, and it gets really lonely because of that. Um, but the reality is like, if I choose you, it's because I like really want you, you know? And like, mm, I actually yeah. believe that there's nothing hotter than monogamy. And like, I really just want you, you know? Like I'm from Tennessee. Mm. And so, so I think that's like, that's where it lands. And I think in the right eyes, like Jason Mraz has said this about his own wife. He's also like, in the right eyes, you find the right one. And we all have a thing in relationships. This just happens to be one of my things, you know? But again, like mm -hmm. if you believe someone will fight for you, which is like, is that not what we are looking for in companionship? Then mm -hmm. it's almost just a side of it. Um, so anyways, that's how I interpret. But like it, it, it contributes to my otherness. You know, like I have all these otherness, like where I live that like I've, I've unfortunately experienced death personally outside of my father. And, and it's just like all these things. But I think it builds this like unwielding like empathy. And it's why I go out of my way and, and I'm able to instinctively understand people and why like, I forgive mm -hmm. with such grace so easily. Um, but it comes from that place. Um, but yeah, love is hard. It's like, I mean, the juicy story is like, so when the person that Helen is alluding to and I were dating, um, uh, it was like three years on and off, uh, we were both dating other people. And, and I would never condone cheating. Cheating is the worst thing you can do to someone else romantically. But like it was one of those things where like we were both candidly figuring out our sexuality and in and the best and worst ways possible. And and also like I'm not blaming her because it takes you to tango, but like she she was like, We're twin flames where we supersede boyfriend, girlfriend, companionship, soulmates, sexual friends, like, you know, friends with benefits. Like, so this is not there is no label for this. We just go as we go. And and to this day it's still that way, you know, like in so many ways, like where are each other's first calls, you know, still. And it's like, everything comes back immediately. Do, do I think we'll get married one day and like have kids? Like probably not. Um, just cause like mm -hmm. not every soul is for you forever. Unfortunately, I think that's something that, that I've had a hard time realizing. Um, like you think you're supposed to marry your soulmate or your twin flame. Unfortunately, I don't know that that's always the case. Uh, in my mm -hmm. case, it's partly because as someone who's fluid, like, I feel like I cannot devote all of me, even if I want to. And that's not fair to her because she deserves everything. Mm -hmm. And like she is, I mean, Helen, you know who it is, like, like exceptional is like, is, is in every way. Um, mm -hmm. Like is so wise, is so hot, like is so sexy, knows exactly what to do. It's like so successful and just has a level of empathy that is like unmatched. 
And, and that right. kind of person deserves everything. And then the second reason is because my mother does not approve of her. So, <laughs> um, which, which is, which is. Oh, is she the prostitute that she was talking about? No. She's one of the two. No, dude was so frustrating. He's like, we all went to the Getty one time and it was, it was like the second or third time we all hung out. And like, they're the same height. Like they come from the exact same family. And my mother at the end was like, absolutely not. And I was like, why? She like, you literally finish each other's sentences. You look the fucking same, which is so Oedipally gross of me. I know to never say that to a woman. I know that. I know. Um, but as a mama's boy, it is a high compliment. I know that's a red flag. Um, but uh, no. And then I was like, and you literally, she's like, she comes from a broken family. I was like, mom, you literally come from the same setup. Like your parents in the 50s divorced, like, which is a big no-no, right? And then like you were raised by both. Like, but like I could go on and on. You literally come from the same place. And she's like, no, this one's different. Trust me. And unfortunately, my mom is never wrong about these things. I know what I sound like, but like, she's really not. And so, and that sticks with me. And I, I told her, like, I was like, I was like, one of the reasons this cannot work is because of it. She's like, I understand. And as, as she's also her mother's child. She's like, I get it. Yeah. Um, mm. But it's just tough. It's like, yeah, it's like, how do you navigate who you love and who you get to be with? And like, I'll give you one more juicy thing. Phil knows this. I, I feel comfortable telling you these things. I tell Phil everything. And Phil, unfortunately, tells me everything, which is very annoying. Uh, but <laughs> you better not be. Mm. I'm, oh, he tells Helen more, obviously. But anyway, uh, it's gotten to the point where it's so hard to find compatibility that, like, my sperm actually is in two different sperm banks. And I'm in this country and I'm ready to be a single father. Like, because mm. I want kids so badly and I know I'll be a phenomenal dad and I'm not going to wait. And like, is that my preference? Hell no. Like, absolutely yeah. not. Is that my preference? I want someone to raise our children with and for them to be our biological children. But like, I also have plans on plans on plans and love is so hard. It's, and it yeah. shouldn't be because I'm actually like, and this is so egotistical to say, and like everyone thinks this, I, I'm like, I'm truly a phenomenal partner, like a phenomenal partner. And I invest so much time I am like, you are my first priority in everything, despite all my things that are always on fire. Yeah, but it's it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Well, let me ask is you. Is that what you wanted, Helen? Seeing... No, this was, I mean, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is so, this is so, I'm like, I have so many parts where I just wanted to jump in and ask a question. Go for it. Like, yeah. Sex is different with all, <laughs> yeah. it's all different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did want to ask you, like, yeah, like, do you want to have a kid in the future? And you, you, you answer that Three. question. But to what you were saying earlier about how you just have so much empathy and love for so many people that it's hard for you to sort of just focus that on one person and, and correct me if I'm wrong or if I heard that incorrectly but that you it, it sounded like you just have so much love for everyone I that makes me sound polyamorous or polysexual which I'm not uh but but no I I do love everyone in some way but in terms of like partnership I only want one person like I couldn't do an open relationship I it's just like it's just mm -hmm. not like this is so terrible to say. Do I think it's practical to sleep with one person for the rest of your life? Absolutely not. But there, there are there are paths before open relationships. Exhibit A three ways, like which are very fun, by the way, if they're well done. And so, like, you have to establish rules, and ideally, you shouldn't be in the couple for it. But anyway, but uh, <laughs> barely is, that, is swinging the formal term for that? Being a swinger? I don't know because I think there's. I, I don't know. I I don't subscribe to nouns because I'm a good millennial. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't but know. That, I, meaning that there are setups where you can have a permanent partner but still sexually involve other people, right? Yeah, all, yes, yeah. all things possible. Uh, do I want that? Hell no. But do I think realistically we will get there? Probably. But, but before we do that, if we need that, we'll have a conversation. And if like your answer mm -hmm. is no, then yeah, the answer is going to be no. The end, you know, like, 
these things are solvable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, what type of person is Bing Chen looking for? For all. Do you of want my criteria? You want my criteria? Yeah. What is your yeah. What is your top five must-haves? So funny. I actually only have five. Uh, this is gonna sound so bad. All right. So the first one I call fire. Um, so uh, mm. I look Ooh, for elements. Yeah. So I look. For, <laughs> fire needs fire. Um, so I look for someone who is challenging, who is not easy who who like there's immense chemistry like my most successful exes are all leos and aries the one you're thinking of mel as you know oh. is an aries um and so mm. um yeah like and i i just need someone who does not give it up easily like one of my biggest red, red flags and this is why i deleted all those godforsaken dating apps is like if i say something in the first line or if i say a joke and you laugh i this will not happen it just won't like the first the first time i told a joke to the person that helen's thinking of she was like that's actually inaccurate. And then she corrects me. And I was like, I think I got a semi. I was like, I've never been more turned on. Um, so that's number one. Like I need, I need fire. The second is I need an aggressive structured empath because I think structured empathy or firm sensitivity as psychology knows it is the most important quality of a parent. And I need someone who is going to be an equally strong parent um, because my mother raised me and I know what the best parent looks like. And that is the bar. Um, third is physically, ideally close to my height, athletic build, not skinny model. I'm attracted to cute hot, not hot hot. Um, more details <laughs> depends on, yeah. Fourth is I call realized ambition. So most of my exes are profoundly successful, almost to like a celebrity level. And it's not because I star fuck, as you know, I really don't care about celebrities er, as celebrity. I don't care about that, that artificial manufacturing of it. I care about people who had a singular dream when they were young and went for it and are crushing it. There is nothing more attractive to me. And, and that's why I like really gravitate towards like founders or creative business types. The one Helen is thinking of as a founder, uh, as well as a creative mm -hmm. business type. Um, and it's, okay, you keep we do not need to talk about, uh, but no, it's just like, it's like, it's just like, it goes back to the democratization of creation. It's like, it's like, fuck, you looked at the world and said, this is missing or this is wrong. And you have fixed it. Like, like, holy shit like there is nothing more attractive than that you know and and like also just like as someone who lives his own life that way like i'm constantly trying to think in partnership like new things we can do together be like yo like like foundation is the cheapest example be like hey my buddy is doing this and this needs this and like is this is a fundraiser but also is this and she'll be like fuck yes like i'll bring this 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 and then we'll do this and then it'll become that and then like in three years it'll become this be like yes let's go like and it's not a business thing like this this persists everything you know um, and so anyway, so that's number four. Um, and then the fifth thing is like, I really need outside of their own realized ambition, someone to build everything with like my last long-term ex, like every Sunday we would cook a new dish together and it would like blend East and West just cause like, that's my thing. So like an example is like, I love beef Wellington cause I, I, I lie that I'm English, but I want to make it Asian cause like English beef Wellington's gross and sour. And, and we made an Asian beef Wellington and it's so sick. So even at that like microcosmic level of like a ritual together, like I need all the way up to the highest level of children and like all sorts of other things. Like I need someone we can build with. Um, but still maintain our exclusive independence, you know? Um, and so all five are important to me. Uh, most people don't get past the first. Uh, and then unfortunately in the trinity of like hot, successful and empathetic, you usually only get two. Uh, I need all three of my top three. Uh, and so <laughs> it's hard. That's really hard. Do you think that um, the women that you've dated who meet that criteria have similar criteria? Yes. Do they have any criteria that you feel like you didn't meet? Well, I have a really small penis. And so I feel like that's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm totally kidding. Um, is that terrible? That's really bad to say. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, well, what I'm curious about is I do not have a small penis, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) You needed to clarify that. Yeah. You never know. Well, I ask because it sounds like you've described a lot of qualities that you also share, right? And there's always this like age old thing about do opposites attract or what things do you need that are similar versus what things need to be kind of opposite. Yes. So have you found in the women that you've dated, like why it's not worked out or, you know, either from your end or from their end, what might've been missing or. Yeah. So we all want different things at different times, right? Like who we want in our twenties is not necessarily who we want in like our forties, like exhibit a, the person that Helen is thinking about both of our like travel schedules are insanity. And so we would never be able to meet in like LA. And so we'd rendezvous in New York or we'd rendezvous in London. And like, that was fucking amazing. Like, you know, it's like, when you're fucking in the airport bathroom, like there's nothing better than that, you know? It's like super dope. And like that stuff you'll carry with you forever. But can you do that when you're like in your 30s? Like, I don't know, it feels a little irresponsible. And so, so and slash is really tiring because your knees hurt. And so for no reason. And so anyway, um, her knees hurt. Uh, this is really terrible. Anyway, um, but yeah, so like, and I, I would say like everyone wants something in different times. I would say like there are some people who are fire, as we call it, to, to reduce and make this astrological who want water. And that is okay. Some people want that balance, that house husband, house wife, whatever, and that's great. But I've dated water, I've dated beta, I get bored so easily. Like and, and I know this. And my mother is like, oh well no, like you really need someone to balance. Like I need someone who's a little more water, maybe, which the person Helen is thinking of is a little more water. Uh, but 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 like but but like I really need fire. And, and sometimes they need fire too. So yeah, I've tried. We are luckily at the age where we know what we want now. We are unfortunately at the age where we're not 25 and you just date anyone. So yeah. Um, yeah. That, Sad. That, <laughs> Forever no, <I> alone. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like you, you refer to these elements as ways to describe people. And then you also talk I know, about so like, bad. No, it's not. I think it's, um, those are all interesting categories. As long as you don't place the person completely in that box, right? But it's a context yeah. or a system, a way of kind of understanding them. Exactly. It's an input, right? It's like, it's not like, you know, like far beyond me, none of us are in a position to box anyone or like declare what we deserve, right? Like everyone makes, it's not even concessions. Everyone like remolds and changes for the ones they love. And like, Lord knows I never check all the boxes of everyone. Like, like exhibit a one of the people we may not have like talked about now for the 10th time. Like (laughs) I am, I am 5'10". This person will often date people who are six feet tall. I know I'm not six feet tall. I'm sorry. You know, like I, I drank a lot of caffeine and soda when I was a teenager. So like, you know, I don't like we all don't check boxes, you know. And so I'm being, how, how are you going to find someone who's just like this person? You've been talking about this person a lot. You're clearly like head over heels for this person. I've gotten close to other times. I said, so this is why I tell people I'm like I've, I, have, I have so many buddies in the same position. Like we, we this is going to sound arrogant, but like, it, it's not it doesn't mean to be. If you exist yourself, then someone else like you does too. And you have to believe that, you know, Mm. like all of us have a piece of us that we feel like is the only one in the world until we find that other. This is the notion of soulmates and twin flames and all that. And so if I found it in myself and if I found it at least once and really if I found gotten close three times, it has to exist. You know, Mm. that's great. Yeah. But and if not, like who the fuck knows? It's love. It's not science. Like this is an art, you know, like it's supposed to surprise Mm -hmm. you. Right. Or maybe I'm wrong and I'll be 50 and single with my three children. Who knows? Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I'm definitely sharing that mindset of, you know, you have to maintain hope, but also you kind of have to accept uh, potential, like, not finding the person. Anyway, that gets depressing. But <laughs> so given the experiences that you shared, um, 
I think our listeners would be interested in, you know, how you observe the topic of Asian masculinity, mm. like as, as, a, mm. as a man and as an Asian person, but also someone who considers himself fluid. Um, what is your kind of mm. like, pers- what's your perspective? Fluid or free is the question. Uh, fluid, free, so- <laughs> all of the things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I think, well, let me, let me caveat. So I, I know I'm privileged here. Like I know I'm above average looking. I'm not a model by any stretch of imagination, but I know I'm not ugly. In my mother's words, I'm a six and a half out of 10. So I'm not a five or below. Um, I do not have a small penis. Um, I'm not quiet or meek. So I, I know I, I come from a privileged place in that regard. Uh, I come from a middle-class family, you know, so I, I'm privileged there. Um, and I know the stats. We know that Asian men are the least liked demographic on the self-identifying male side of any group on dating apps. We know that. Um, so, so with all that said, like I think about it in two ways. One is it pisses me off when people are like, who is the Asian Captain America? Like Phil and I talk about this often because we cannot compare ourselves to a Western Eurocentric lens of attractiveness or masculinity or gender, right? Like we need to reimagine our strength in unnamed places. And that is our privilege as the fastest growing immigrant population as a majority of the world. And because of connectivity through the internet and stories and so forth, the world is becoming smaller. So the world by the numbers is starting to look more like us. And so we need to find what our unique strength is. Like, I, I'm sorry for bringing up Phil on, like, because I, I, I feel like I'm doing that thing where I talk about, like, the, the, the male fiancé in the other fiancé's show. But I, I'm using this just for the sake of example. I'm sorry, Helen. Like, one That's the, fine. Go for it. Yeah. First of all, I'm not attracted to Phil at all. Don't worry about that. But <laughs> really not my type. Really not my type. No. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't matter anyway, because he, you know. Totally he's okay got you. if you were. Yeah, no, really not. Really not. Really, really not. And he's got you. So he doesn't need anything. But, or anyone. Um, but anyone else. Um, but no, like, one of the reasons I respect Phil so much, and, and I think he represents this, like, newness of Asian masculinity, is, like, Phil is, like, above average looking as well. But he's so quirky and charming, but in a way that's not meek. Like, Phil's mm-hmm. warmth is so palpable, but it's not weak. And I think historically in a Western Eurocentric lens, if you're kind, people will consider you weak, right. you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and Phil does it in a way that's like not only warm, but just like funny, you know? And it's not even mm-hmm. funny in a traditional charming way. It's just like weird. Like it, it's like, it's mm-hmm. like cute. It's like a Tokidoki cute. You know, that's how I define it. And that's what I want for our, for our men. I want us to find our lane. You should not be the suave, like bullshit hair, leather, whatever. Like that is not us. I mean, that's some of us, but like y'all can enjoy your guido-ness. Like that's not us. Like you need to reimagine what it means to be a man because by the way, again, the numbers are going there. Like you want to wear like weird stuff. You want to like, like things that are traditionally feminine. Like what the fuck is even traditionally feminine or why does it even matter that you like it? Like that's our job. Right. Um, and so that's number one. Um, the second thing is, uh, Asian men need to be just like better men. And I think it's our responsibility to reimagine what it means for everybody. And I go back again to like the attack on women. We know Asian men who are still misogynist that needs to stop because that is not a position of strength. And the good news is once again, the numbers are on our side. Like one of the reasons like I, and I'm not the best at this, but like one of the reasons I have, have an aggressive and structured commitment to like enabling space for women is because I grew up in a household where the economic and emotional center of gravity was a woman. You know, and by the, and my father died again when I was 15. So I, for our purposes, grew up in a single mother household. And my father was always absent anyway because he was on work, but work trips. Um, and by the numbers, 25% of us in this country under the age of 18 grow up in a single parent household, almost always a single mother. And so for these 25% plus, like we have reimagined and are therefore reshaping what is possible on a gender level. And that again 
like as minorities, as Asians, as double minorities, depending on your orientation, is our responsibility to reimagine this for everyone. And so I know not all of us have this strength because there are so many Asian men here and abroad who feel lonely, who feel like they don't have traditional like charm skills, all that. And I recognize that can be tough when you go into a bar and are expected to behave like a European. I get that. But at the same time, it's sort of like, fuck going to a bar, like do mukbang on Twitch and find your soulmate there. Like go to Comic-Con or like go to a under other like traditional place too. And like, if it's in the right eyes and it's the right person, then they'll see you too, you know? Um, don't try to have the eyes or catch other people who weren't meant for you anyway. On shoot days for ABG, besides my makeup bag, I've added another item to my list, my deodorant. When we start filming, we turn everything off, including the AC, to make sure our sound is top quality. However, turning off the AC turns on another thing, my sweat. During this time, I turn to my Native deodorant to keep me smelling fresh. Native is aluminum-free deodorant with ingredients I've actually heard of like coconut oil and shea butter. I love their lavender and rose scent, but they have a bunch of other scents you can choose from like cucumber mint or coconut and vanilla. Native also has a line of sensitive deodorants for people with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free deodorants if you're trying to cut down your plastic consumption, and even unscented options if you're all about your natural scent. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com abg or use promo code abg at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com abg or use promo code abg at checkout for 20% off your first order. Hi, ABGs and ABBs. Many of you have shared with us that you do some sort of creative work, whether that's preparing an online portfolio for your projects or marketing materials for a side business. As creators ourselves, we love and encourage all of it. If you haven't heard of Issue yet, we'd recommend you check it out. It's an all-in-one platform to create and distribute digital content, from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures. It works seamlessly with tools you already use like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign. You can make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. You can use Issue for free, and they also offer premium features that give a more customized experience. Get started with Issue today for free, or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code ABG. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code ABG at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue.com slash podcast with promo code ABG. I'll be honest. My hair is something I pay the most attention to, and I believe one of the things we remember with hair is its scent. Have you ever walked past someone and then wind just blows your amazing shampoo scent straight into your nose? Yeah, that's me with Function & Beauty. Function & Beauty is a world leader in fully customized hair care. To create your unique formula based on a short but thorough quiz to give your hair everything it needs to look and feel its best. Function & Beauty fans, like me, are crazy about their different fragrances. I'm currently using their eucalyptus scent, and let me just say, I feel like I step out of a refreshing spa after every hair wash. They also have scents like Tropical Mango, Lavender Rose, and Pear, but they also have unscented options if fragrance is just not for you. I totally recommend Function & Beauty. Go to functionbeauty.com abg to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. That's functionandbeauty.com slash ABG to let them know you heard about it here and to get 20% off your first order. Functionandbeauty.com slash ABG. 
Well, we want to switch it over to your current career. Um, <laughs> you are an advisor. I know. Um, you're super accomplished. You're an advisor and investor on multiple boards, councils, and incubators. Um, a lot of our listeners are, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs um, themselves. What do you think is the most important characteristic or skill of an advisor? So there, there are on paper three traditional things, as you know, Melody, that, that sort of a good company would look for. So one is your industry pedigree and expertise. So are you crushing it in your own industry? Do you actually have functional expertise so you can save a company time? Because mm-hmm. our goal always is it takes on average seven to 10 years, as you know, to IPO or exit a company. How do you contract that into three to five and so forth. Um, the second is network. Do you know people who matter who can light that up faster? And are you willing to introduce them knowing that political capital is more expensive than just raw capital? And then third is what you put in the time, right, over time. Um, so those are the three most important. Outside of that, I think that the biggest make or break is um, a lot of board directors and advisors forget that they are once they're to govern or advise, uh, but they're also there to serve. And, and I think that the best advisors in particular ask the right questions. They don't dictate answers um, because what you really want for, an, for uh, you know, an entrepreneur or a CEO is you want to guide them in their own lane. You want to be Socratic because they're the ones who are actually going to end up executing everything. It's not you. And so the more that you can teach them to fish as opposed to handing them fish or telling them where the you know, right pond is, the better. That's really good advice. Th- thanks, Mom. Um, I- <laughs> What do you think is the most important characteristic of those you advise, the companies or the, or the individuals? I think it's a couple of things. So one is uh, the companies that last are solving a real singular problem. If you're trying to create like Uber for clowns or like, I don't know, the blank of blank, like mm, rethink. Like the, the ones that are solving real problems that deal with real longevity in the real world are the ones that last. I think the second is um, you have to have real conviction on getting there. Um, know what with, with bounds with the humility to change when you need to. Um, if you don't believe in your idea, no one's going to believe in your idea, you know? And in fact, as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and y'all know this, like people think it's so sexy because all our friends are billionaires. The real talk is that if 51% of your day is good, you had a great day as a founder. You know, most of the day fucking sucks. You know, you're crying, you're developing tumors everywhere. Like it just sucks. It's the worst, you know? Uh, but it's also yours, mm-hmm. you know? And if, if it pays off, you know, it can change the world as it were. You know, um, number three is execution. Um, the only thing that separates good and great companies again is relentless execution. So who is enduring uh, and actually delivers? Um, and th- and one of the most important things here is we cannot mistake action for execution impact. So many people confuse means for ends. Means are not ends. Means are ways to ends. And so, are you really delivering the type of impact you care about? Um, and then, yeah, I think the final thing that you know we alluded to earlier is like really trying to be singular in the market. Uh, We tell all of our companies this. It's like, we will never do something that someone else does because, and that's how we last. Mm -hmm. Even with Gold House, we look around. If someone else is doing it well, we will not touch it. It's not our lane, you know? Like, why do it? Uh, We will only do things that do not exist or things that we think we are uniquely situated to do better. They call this the right to exist in Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do we have a right to exist? Uh, And then if we do, then we will exist the shit out of it. but more often than not, you find there's not a need. Amazing. That that's yeah. Bing, we might come to you to ask for some advisor advice for I got you. Uh, yeah. ABJ over here. I got you. you know what I'm saying since you know, I mean, we just started full time a year ago, so we can no, get so a little proud. bit of help. <laughs> no, I'm so proud of y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Creative is so hard. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Gold House. I'm curious because that has really taken over the scene amongst the API community. It really has. It's like y'all popping up everywhere. But I want to know how did that even come about? Um, you talk through that. Yeah, no, you're so kind, and it's I mean it's because of y'all. It's because really Phil, like y'all have been there since the beginning. Um, 
So uh, a bunch of us went to a room, not to name drop, but it was Kevin Lin of Twitch, Janet Young, the highest ranking agent in the Academy and director of John M. Chu. And we were standing in a room of a bunch of old dudes. And we're looking around, we're like, why don't, why aren't Asians crushing it? And none of us, by the way, have ever really done Asian stuff. Like Kevin grew up in the South, founded Twitch. Like John and Chu to date had not done Crazy Rich Asians by a long shot. Like Janet, like made Joy Luck Club, but like, she's not just doing that, you know? So it was like, we never really did anything like this. We weren't the Asians who were part of the Asian clubs and causes or. And we realized Asians were not thriving in society for two reasons. Um, uh, one is we didn't support each other intrinsically mm. and two is because of that society did not know how to support us uh, and this sounds like a very asian thing to say where it's our fault but we realized there was both a cultural and commercial imperative to fix this there's a cultural imperative because as human beings with a collective struggle and that is death we have a collective responsibility to uplift each other and raise our floor and the second is there's a commercial imperative most multinational growth for western companies is coming from asia I saw this with my own eyes and hands when I was at YouTube. And so who is going to bridge the next few decades of the world? It is going to be Asian American and Pacific Islanders in this country because we have the soft power and expertise of the West, but we have the translation and the visual identity of the East. And for those of us who are third culture kids, like 230 million of us are in some way or a subset of us are, we have the power to bridge the Pacific and then soon with South America as well. And that is what's going to find the next half century. And so we were like, okay, well, who's going to do this? Because Kevin's busy building a multi-billion dollar platform. John is busy creating this thing called Crazy Rich Asians that may be a thing. And Janet is busy bringing a movie producer. And they're like, Bing, you're the most junior here with the lightest resume. You do it. <laughs> and, and I was like, and, and I hate complaining. And I have a vision for my Walt Disney company, Day Job Holding Company. I was like, all right, I'll just go do this because we need it. And I'm the most junior person, so I have the most time. And so... You know, I, I'm humble enough to know I, I do not run the show. And so we met with 300 of the top Asian leaders just to get feedback. These are C-suite executives, partner level presidents, A-list celebrities, top founders, you name it, we talked to them. Editor-in-chief of Valera, CEO of MBA to like, I don't, you, you name it again, you know? And we were like, if you were to create the Asian mafia, and, and I mean the Asian mafia, what would it be? And everyone, because people are more concentric than they are different because we share our collective special struggle, said the same three things. We were like, all top Asians need to know each other. All Asians need to know each other so we know who to call for blank. Number two, mm -hmm. our women are overly fetishized and therefore reduced in society through media. Our men are emasculated and also physically reduced. We need to change that. And then third is we know power comes from the C-suite and board directors as well as in elected offices. We need to fix that. And so we're like, all right, well, fuck politics because that's too confusing and, and complicated. We're gonna focus on the other three. Um, and fast forward. You know, we are an enormous, and I'd argue half the reason, there is now a market for API films. Studios did not believe there was until we created Gold Open with John and Chu. Um, the other half, of course, is there were incredible, incredible storytellers. Always were. They just didn't have a market to land on. We built that. And we're about to do the same thing with founders, uh, as you all know. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's Gold House Nutshell. We're now 12 different ventures, 100 people worldwide. Um, and you'll see how we're evolving next. Our, our next big trajectories are, you know, again, we did not exist to build foreign by Asians. We exist to enable our diaspora to elevate the world. And so our next trajectory, I call it our phase two plan known as Goldbridge because we're annoying. Um, but one is cross-generational support. Two is cross-industry support. So we can cross-pollinate between these powerful industries. And third of tantamount vital importance is cross-cultural unification. How do we unite all the multicultural communities? Uh, and you will see very, very soon how we're doing that. 
So you alluded to um, something that's coming up in in May. Is that right? Yes. Like a big project. Would you like to share with our listeners a little bit more about that? Um, They all fall into those pockets. So like I'll I'll go one by one, give you examples. So um, Goldhouse's most valid criticism is we are elitist. Absolutely, we are. We are extremely elitist. And the reason why is because having built the largest creative economy at YouTube since the advent of cable TV, I know that the world acts like high school, unfortunately. People follow the popular kids. And when I'm trying to build systems that sustainably invest in our stories and get us to C-suite, I'm going to focus on the rich and famous people because I want to Robin Hood the shit out of them. Now we have Robin Hooded them effectively. And so now it's time to send the elevator down with those formidable resources, capital, promotion, et cetera. So we will be making a very comprehensive material investment in the next generation of creatives and founders so that we tell our stories in the highest level so that we employ the rest of the world for the next few decades. Um, So that's number one. Um, Second, in terms of cross industry, uh, we, all things are concentric. Uh, Like I grew up, y'all grew up in digital media. Digital media by definition is three industries. It's tech, it's Hollywood and it's commerce, right? And so how do we cross pollinate these faster? So you might've noticed that Raya and the Last Dragon recently from Disney, the first Southeast Asian princess had three different Southeast Asian brands, right? Promoted as part of their marketing promotion. That was not an accident. What if we could take our stories and support our businesses? What if we could take our businesses and elevate them through story? And suddenly as a community, we're not just seeing each other and others seeing us, we are buying from each other. And at some point, if we celebrate and buy from each other, we could also advocate and vote for each other. You see, that's how you build a sustained community. And that only happens if we cross-pollinate industries. Um, So that's number two. And then third is, uh, once again, even though the origin of minority plights are highly disparate, Um, Asians do not have universal slavery. We do not have our history collectively stolen from us. I'm glad for that. But our solutions to these civil issues are highly concentric as we learned from the black community in the 1960s. It is because of the black community, the Black Panthers, the NACP, for why people who look like us can marry people who do not look like us, who can vote, who have improved immigration rights, right? One of us that rises directly will benefit the others. So the question is, how do we forge that sincerely and sustainably? And so you'll see us start to forge relationships there. The next big one that's coming up is the Latino community. The Latino community and APIs are the fastest growing immigrant populations in this country. In 25 years, we will be the large minorities and our experiences are highly culturally concentric. 75 plus percent of us grow up in bilingual households. We have to definitely navigate dual nations, right? We have the most multi-generational households, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to see us for the first time get together in ways that we never have, because that is how we are going to rise. Um, so anyway, so that's that's that. Um, the other commercial imperative, because things cannot just be about, you know, kumbaya is problematic as kumbaya, I think it is. <laughs> the commercial imperative is outside of Asia, multinational growth is coming from Brazil and South America. And so how can we accelerate this even further? And I think it's part public institution, but we'll see when our government figures that out. But I think those of us in the private sector who can move at our own pace have a responsibility to move at a faster one. Wow. That was, I feel like, once again, in a couple of minutes, you laid out like an entire plan mm-hmm. and a strategy for, There's a, for a lot of people. <laughs> there is a plan. There has to be a plan. We, yeah. we owe it to ourselves, you know, like we have to. We have to be better, you know, faster, stronger, yeah. longer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to say like, like, thank you for even like, 
putting in the effort and the work to do that because yeah. I feel like a lot of us that are AAPI in 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 this country we're just trying to we're just trying to get good at what we can do right now and it, it is very mm-hmm. much like a disparate situation where we're not united mm-hmm. in a way but mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel that way I think we're starting yeah. to feel that way it's and Gold House definitely has yeah it is coming and, and and you all have laid out the foundations for that to really build up the momentum for it going forward so oh, just hearing you talk about it I'm like I'm excited to see all that mm-hmm. you know roll out we're trying I wish we were faster it's like as Oprah once said like you can have it all just not all at once I wish we could have mm-hmm. gotten here faster but like we're going as fast as we can you know and like this is a passion yeah, project for so many of us yeah yeah. And it's like we're trying to reverse 3,000 years, but still, like, we want this yesterday. So it's it's hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Being, I feel like you're such a visionary. Um, <laughs> I want to ta- tap your brain on this, like, your prediction. What do you think is next in the industry of media entertainment? Oh, God. Um, man, Melody, that's a long question. All right, so I'll, I'll give you a couple. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> like, there's so many. Like, we... I don't want to say we're at inflection point because that's so trite, but like, all right, I'll, I'll just list out a bunch in no particular order. Um, one is every studio and their mother is investing in franchises. So built in repeatable sequels with commercial extensions. These are half a billion dollar Lord of the Rings. These are the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, these are coming for all the reasons we know. So I think you're going to see more importantly, more creative concoctions of franchises. Because right now it's really provincially in the cinematic world, like do you have sequels and toys? Mm-hmm. There's going to be way better permutations on that, specifically ones that involve the crowd interactively. Um, and you're already starting to see that through like Lil Michaela and otherwise. So that's, that's one. The second piece is indie. So indie films like every single year go down, 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 down. But the one place they don't is multicultural stories. And this sounds racist because it is because it's stacked against us. But it is a great place for especially minority and multicultural storytellers to prove ourselves. Right. And then to eventually get the bigger budgets over time in Hollywood. It's also a great opportunity for us, dare I say, to tell our stories purely. Um, so so indie specifically with multicultural is another. Um, third is the pandemic fucking sucked and so we all crave physical proximity um there are empirically two reasons why humanity convenes one is concentric interest and two is because of proximity you'll eventually become in other words friends with your college roommate even if you hate them because of that physical habituation and so site-based entertainment is absolutely coming back in spades coachella is going to be sick edc is going to be sick um, I think Chuck E. Cheese might have died, but like thing, the, the next Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Chuck e. Mouse will, will be sick. Um, <laughs> the, the next thing is physical products. So uh, we already saw a, a harkening back over the past five years to like vintage records increase, board games increase in consumption, but you're going to increasingly see this. And it's not just because of nostalgia of millennials starting to get older and the desire to own things as agency. It's also because of the physical proximity that they bring with people together. Mm-hmm. Um, so physical products for sure. Um, and the, uh, the final thing I'll say is like all the streaming wars, like like we all have like five different streamers. I, I don't think you're going to see the death of many of them or the consolidation for another few years just because so many of them are putting real weight behind it. And there are so many meaningful players. Uh, obviously, they are Netflix, Amazon Studios, Hulu, Disney Plus and HBO Max. Um, I'm so sorry for our partners that I did not mention. Um, but but those, those are the real biggies, you know, when it comes to video based content. Mm-hmm. Apple kind of. Oh, but but anyway, but but, but those are that. So anyway, so I think those are a couple. Um, Mm. The only other one that I mentioned, the system of multiculturalism is like, thanks to really honestly Parasite uh, and the incredible fortified structure that Mickey Lee at CJ built over the last three decades, you will see a increasingly um, wonderful influx of import exported non-English language creative. Um, and this obviously benefits all of us. Um, you will see this in Asian um, languages and dialects. You will see this in South American ones as well and or Spanish ones, mm. I should say. 
What is one piece of advice that you've picked up throughout your career, your amazing life? How old are you being? You're only 32? Yeah, 33. 34. 33. Okay, okay. (laughs) But what is one piece of advice that you Mm -hmm. have picked up that you always go back to? Um, I'd say a couple of things. My favorite piece of advice is from Einstein, uh, to be pedantic. And uh, I'll paraphrase, but he said that there are two ways to live your life. There's always two ways. Um, as if everything is a miracle and as if nothing is. And, and again, it's a privilege to say this, but if you look where everyone else has looked but see what no one can see, is your life not going to be much better? You know, um, like I remember I was walking with one of my buddies. He was like super fancy yesterday. He was like filthy rich and annoying. Um, but we were walking down the street on Bond Street in New York and I saw the Sour Patch factory. And like we all love Sour Patch kids. Y'all know this. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is the only factory in the country. And I freaked out, like audibly freaked out. And he looked at me, he's like, you're such a kid. This dude's like 50. He's like, you're such a kid. And I was like, yeah, it's Sour Patch Kids. And they have pineapple flavored Sour Patch, which you cannot find anywhere, you know? And it's like, are you going to live your life as if everything is obvious? Or are you going to live your life as if you have fresh eyes again? This is one of the reasons I love kids so much. It's like they see everything for the first mm-hmm. time every time. And is that not the way to live? Like those are the type of people who rethink the world that we live in. And, and, that, and again, I know this is a privileged thing because we all are tired. We have mortgages. We have taxes. We have chronic illnesses. I get it. I get it. We all have our battles internally. But the more you can see the light everywhere, just like the better off your life will be, you know? Um, so that's number one. Um, the second one, which is something I've had to come into over the years, because as like a kid who was very popular and in every group, like, and I had to learn that if you want to be well-liked, do nothing new. If you do anything new, you will piss at least 50% of people off. I am very comfortable pissing people off nowadays, uh, potentially to a fault, but it's okay to piss people off as long as you are doing the right thing with the best intentions and being as thoughtful, as inclusive as possible. If those four things are true, piss everyone off period you know um so that's that um and also like in the words of dr seuss is problematic and some of dr seuss's work is these days those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter um so that's that Uh, and it actually is very true um the overwhelming majority of like my like critique comes from people who candidly have not done their homework you know and and do not have lived Mm. experience to understand how to do things to the degree that we do and i know that sounds cocky but it's not wrong Um, The third is my mother in seventh grade when I was going through like, I I was basically like, like it was me and this other kid who were like number one, two in every class. And I was lamenting that the other kid was like really performative. He was like, like going out of his way to suck up to the teacher basically. And I was like, do I need to do this? And, and like would go out of his way to like do like, I don't know, all this bullshit. And I was like, mom, do I need to do this? Like, you know, I just like, this seems exhausting, you know? And it's like, it's very, it's, it's hard for me to fake it, you know? Like I, I really cannot. And, and she's like, there are two types of people in this world because there are always two types of people in a mother's eyes. Um, she's like, those who exist when they're announced and those who only exist when they announce themselves. And she's like, you always want to be the former because if you have to tell people who you are, you probably aren't. And you probably, if you do, you don't matter. But if your work is stellar and, and, and it's so transcendent, it lies in people's eyes and heads and mouths, you have done something worth remembering. And that is the goal. Because when you are gone and you will go one day, that is the only thing that keeps you alive, right? They call this the second death in Mexican culture, right? And so, so that's, number, that's number three. And then I think the fourth thing is, this is from my father who, who I have a precarious relationship with, but like we have to be great and good and, and we cannot be one or the other. 
And so like my father, for instance, both of my parents of the American dream came from nothing. My father became CFO Phillips uh, Electronics. So like they own Sonicare and everything. Uh, he invented the compact disc. And so uh, very successful. Um, and, uh, and I remember one of the reasons he was successful is he had to fire every single SVP when he became CFO because they were all money, money laundering. And my father's as, as mm. much of an asshole as he was, was a very good person. And, um, mm. and, uh, and I remember he had to bring a gun to work in Tennessee because he was afraid for his life because he had fired literally the f all five SVPs in Tennessee uh, as, again, the only non-white executive worldwide at this very white company, this Dutch company. And, and that taught me that like, you cannot just be great in achievement. You must be a great and good human being. Mm -hmm. and, and you can never compromise either um, as much as you can. And, and those are honestly like, you know, we talked about dating earlier. When I think about my colleagues, we look for those two things. Can you deliver like a motherfucker? And are you golden hearted? And if you're not both, we will not engage you because we have earned our right not mm -hmm. to. Because we know what's at stake. You know, like with Gold House, yeah. it is four and a half billion people are at stake. It is entire several industries now at stake. It is in the case of Stop Asian Hate, life and death at stake. And if you cannot be both, you do not deserve the work, you know? So anyway, so those are, those are I think, a couple of things. Those are powerful words to live by. Um, Just words though. <laughs> I mean, words with, with I'm joking, I'm joking, Janet. <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying too literal to sometimes, yeah. I'm trying to make me not boring. I'm sorry. No, no, this is, I mean, I got total dad vibes through a lot of your, uh, I was, dad I could vibes. Yeah. Like I could, <laughs> here's the thing. Cause I could totally, I was like, wow, he's going to be a really good father. Like the way that you kind oh. of, you know, the things that you're saying and the values that you will impart. Mm -hmm. um, very kind. It's going to say, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. So Same. we, the last question will be, what is next for you and how can the ABG community support you? Uh, I'm trying to launch my new Walt Disney company. Um, I can illustrate that for another time, but any support y'all want to give for that, it specifically focuses on death and it's how we like, how we live forever, basically. And the only way to live forever is to leave something that, that does. Um, and I figured out a couple ways to do that. Um, so that's, that's one. Um, honestly, you know what the ask is. Helen always gave me and Phil shit for like having an MSG that was guy only. And like, we were like, where is the women MSG? And then how do we unite this cinematic universe where we can all get together at Hometown Buffet? And we really want this. And like, I, this already exists in a couple of forms. So it's just a matter of us getting together. It's like, y'all got ABG. Ali Maki has Asian American Girl Club. Jenny Young has her thing. Like all, all, all amazing. I would love for us to collaborate because we all know and love each other, but we don't get together. I don't know. I feel like we should just start a text thread of all of this. For sure. Yeah, I'm down. No, that's on y'all. I mean, we're, yeah, no, that is, that is for sure. For sure. I think what you and Phil and uh, all of your soy guy guys have, have done. Yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible, incredibly supportive group of men. So I agree that there needs to be one for women as well. And, and, you know, ABG, there's some, there's some restructuring going on. So there's some new rollouts. So we'll figure, we'll figure it out. All right. We're here. Uh -huh. I mean, but yeah, it's just, it would just be dope to gas each other up, you know, and like, mm. I don't know, it's like also transactional. It's like, is it a coincidence that all of us happen to share things at the same time? Like, no, all of this is orchestrated. Y'all know how this works. So it would just be cool to do it with more people and more things. Oh, for sure. For sure. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Bing. I think you shared so many golden nuggets, and um, I was really happy to get to know you more through this episode. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much. Um, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, OnlyFans.com. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm joking. I, I don't condemn that behavior. You know, you, you do what you need to do. Um, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not on that, nor will I ever be. Um, but uh, no, I'm just Bing Chen, B-I-N-G-C-H-E-N, everywhere. Uh, probably most active on Instagram. It's the only place I get to be free outside of my 18-hour workdays. Um, so maybe there, maybe on Twitter. I don't know. Uh, and then Gold House is just Gold House Co. Om Group is Om Group HQ. And then you'll see a couple other things come out very soon. And they're all weirdly gold related. I don't know why. I'm trying to reclaim gold. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Even your backdrop, his backdrop in Zoom. I right know, now. your backdrop. <laughs> we have to be consistent, y'all. See, this you can't true. actually see me. On it's brand. camouflage. <laughs> yeah. Always be selling. It's branding. It's branding. ABG, always yeah. be selling. <laughs> if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash slash support or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonate with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. If you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called GRBG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is Asian Boss Girl. And we have a couple of shoutouts today, many birthdays that are happening from Rebecca to Tiffany in New Jersey. Happy birthday, Tiffany. Hope you enjoy your new ABG merch. Thanks for showing me this awesome podcast and being an ABG in my life. From Timothy Liu to Eileen Chen in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Happy birthday, Eileen. You will always be the Asian boss girl to me, and I'm so excited for all you'll achieve in year 22. From Bea Brown to her beautiful sister, Nikki, from Prince Edward Island, Canada. Happy 28th birthday. I'm so proud of you, and your passion towards your work inspires me every day. From Andrea Fab to Kim Fun in California. Happy birthday to my best friend, Kim Fun. Can't wait until we can travel and eat the good food together. From Cecilia to Shannon Chang in Vancouver, Canada. Happy birthday to one badass. ABG. Even though we're still in quarantine, we hope you will celebrate in typical fashion with wine, BBT, and good friends. Love Shirley, Pearl, and Cecilia. And a happy belated birthday from Xu Ying to Michelle in Singapore, who turned 26th on April 15th or 16th. And last but definitely not least, from Kat to Kellyanne in the greater Toronto area, thanks for being an amazing FMSA president. I appreciate you for being such a supportive Asian boss girl for FMSA. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree in our LinkedIn bio on our Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. Well, we'll catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.